Okay, so my audio is going to just be what it is today, uh, and we'll we'll just we'll kind of keep it short. Um, it is February twenty first, and uh, it's sunny here in Juneau. How you doing it's up over. north? It's snowing here again. Unfortunately, it's snowing. I can't believe it. It's like it's, it's the right uh, time of year for snow. Yeah, it's, but it but except for the part where it got up to like the fifties or forties for like the last week. So it snowed a bunch, rained on top of the snow, melted for a while, oh. and then now it's frozen again. Sounds like sounds like uh, sounds like it's on brand to me. That you know, it kind of. It kind of reminds me of why I liked reporting in Juno in person because you'd be gone for like the breakup months and yeah. then you would be back and it'd be like, oh, it's nice and like kind of starting to green up. And I, I secretly think that's why the capital will never move is that I think that everyone likes to get out in January, February, March and get down to the banana belt here in Juno and, <laughs> and then they can go home when it's really summer. Yeah. Well, well, here we are. Um, let's do our let's let's back up and do our intro. Uh, hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race, and this is Matt Buxton, and this is a podcast about Alaska. All right, so um, we're going to try and keep it pretty brief this week. Um, we just we've had such good consistency the last few weeks. We don't want to miss this one, but it's going to be uh brisk so i know we're uh, doing our best to try to miss this one but i'm actually you know i'm surprised that we're we're able to keep it together so far so. yeah i think we both needed a break this weekend i was i i was kind of dealing with some stuff too and so it was nice to just sort of like step away and exist in that world i'm doing i'm deep 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 in this like video editing pit of despair it's just i don't know why like it's one of the things i love doing the most in the world but it's also one of the things that is like the hardest thing to do is to just sit down and really chew on on one piece i mean i think that's kind of like emblematic of everything right now it feels like the pandemic has revealed a lot of like bad attitudes, both like internally and externally about how we work. Right. Yeah. So I feel like in the last month or so, especially it felt, it's felt like, I don't know, maybe, maybe everything just feels like the last month or so, but the last, however long it's felt like two years, it's like, we were just living to work on some level, you know? And it's like, I think that it is good for some of us, like you and me, because I think working is like, fun and we have like fun work that we get to do that's like rewarding and stuff but it's still work and it's it i think finding some time to get away from it and then also like i don't know today's but president's day right like i was like gonna work all day and then this is like okay i can take like a three a two and a half day weekend you know yeah you're allowed you're allowed to break every once in a while and you do, you know, I, you do a lot of work on the weekends. You're covering a lot of things when there's meetings on the weekends. And I think it's good for you to know when it's time to step away from stuff, because I think that you get so in it. And I think that you're, um, you know, people from outside, people who are just like reading the news articles or reading the reports, I think don't realize the toll that it takes on a journalist to like be in those meetings every day, all the time. And it's, it can be pretty stressful and it can weigh a person down. And I think you see that with staffers too. I think that, you know, this time of year, people start (laughs) looking out the window a little more. (laughs) Um, And it's, and it's hard as spring comes on, you know, as the, 
weather gets nicer and things like that it's like what are we doing it's just yeah it's like we're sitting around with like our jaws clenched you know it's just yeah. like feels exhausting at some point so so what happened said, this week yeah <laughs> yeah um i want to talk about redistricting so great speaking of jaws clenched uh the final decision on the redistricting trial was due out on Tuesday. It came out at one thirty, around one thirty a.m. on Wednesday. Um, so we got to spend all day like wondering when it's going to happen, and it comes out. You know, so I'm like tossing and turning. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll get this in the morning. Is kind of what I decided. And then I think about yeah. two in the morning, I could I just couldn't resist any longer and <laughs> pulled it up and was reading it on my phone. And by like you know four or five in the morning, I was on my computer starting to you know it 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 was fun honestly it was kind of fun to like be delving diving through this big you know 170 page thing um yeah it really was, like it the, was the results of something you've been paying attention to for so long it's nice to see sort of i mean it's not the conclusion but it's pretty close and it, it yeah. summarizes and wraps a lot of things up that we've been wondering about for a long time right and i think it, it also like touches you get to see what the judge has been like thinking about and, and weighing everything because we've you know he has been really you know he's been one of the more judge matthews um thomas matthews anchorage superior court judge has been handling this has been pretty hands-off like the whole way through there's been you know I've, I've seen other judges who are a lot more like involved in question asking and stuff like that and you kind of get a feeling of like where they're leaning with everything He's been almost like silent. I think there's maybe three questions I can remember him asking over the course of like three weeks. So anyways, that's all to say that I really, I think the decision is really interesting. Um, so uh, just a quick sort of background is there's five different cases that were brought against the Alaska Redistricting Board that were challenging and on all sorts of different grounds. There were, was East Anchorage plaintiffs, uh, Matsu, Valdez, uh, Chalista Corporation and uh, Skagway. And they all kind of had sort of different things, but basically the main argument was like, you didn't treat us fairly. We didn't get what we wanted. And so the really important thing to keep in mind here is that Judge Matthews actually found that the entire 40 House district map and the Senate maps like were constitutional, which I think might be the first time in a very long time that there wasn't like a, wasn't a like problem on, you know, socioeconomic integration, compactness contiguity all that sort of stuff there wasn't issues on that there was issues on process which was like a really kind of surprising sort of outcome given everything basically his argument here is that because the Alaska constitution has a pretty clear like public process element to it of you need to take take the board maps out for hearings you need to hear from the public his ruling kind of takes it another step forward which is saying and that all matters. And and it matters yeah. in that it's a way to basically act as a check and balance on the board to ensure that like a, a secretive political process isn't warping it. And it, basically what it says is that if the weight of public testimony says to do one thing, you need to either at least try to do it, make a good, uh, he calls it a hard look at it, or you need to at least make a good justification as to why you can't do it. So you know, it, he would. So it was interesting because there was another case. So the Valdez case um, did argue this, but then the board was able to say, "Hey, like we we really tried." And there was a lot of testimony. Yeah, of course, we that thought was like, about we, this. We really tried to do yeah. it, and um, so that that one uh, did not meet the grounds. But in the cases of uh, East Anchorage Senate pairings, um, where they paired uh, Eagle River with um, South. East Anchorage district kind of making a solid Republican Senate seat out of 
what was really not too solidly Republican seats. And then um, Skagway, where they were arguing that um, they should be paired with downtown Juneau rather than the Valley. Um, and in both cases, it was pretty like, like brazen, I would say, that the board looked at the public testimony and said, eh, we don't need to listen to it. We don't need to follow it. We don't even think they're right. So we'll just do what we think is right. Yeah. And uh, it's a really interesting like standard because it, it takes me back to the the issue that like you know th- there's a difference between what's right and what's legal here and what the board did was legal it wasn't really right but this idea of uh like a state agency saying we know better than the public like I, I another attorney friend who gets involved in a lot of litigation against the feds said that basically like you know I'd be happy as a pig in shit you know with this because it was you know, such a clear violation of like the public trust. Like if you had a regular saying, you know, the public testimony is completely against Hubble mine, but me, the individual believes it's cool. Like that would be, you know, a, a court wouldn't have a hard time throwing that out. And so um, that's really what happened here, whether or not. So now we're getting into the issue of like, will be a, uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, but. Right. And right well, now what is that standard? Doing... Like, what is a What is a hard look look like? What, how, like how much diligence do you need to do to pass that, <laughs> that smell test? Um, for me, I think the really interesting thing was the, like the, with the Senate process, they didn't really have an opportunity for public testimony. Um, you know, they didn't have an opportunity for the public to weigh in or really process or see those maps before they voted on them. They were just sort of like done in the, you know, done in the shadows overnight. And then, and then that was the end of the process. We're done. No, no need for more comment. And so I think what this does in the future is it's, it it at least establishes a hurdle for them that says, you know, you're going to have to allow public to be part of this process. You can't just come up with house maps, do a whole bunch of public testimony on house maps, and then decide whatever you want for the Senate. And so I, I really like that decision because I think that it, you know, even if the Supreme Court comes back and says something different, I think that it's going to make people a little more cautious in the future of, of throwing the public out of the process, eliminating the public from the process of the Senate pairings. And so, which is essentially what they did. So I really like that pushes back against that. The other thing that came up in there was the Open Meetings Act. And like, and, and you brought this up, the, the lawyer for the, um, the lawyer for the state argued that the redistricting board didn't even need to follow the Open Meeting Act, which I thought was absurd. And which, which was, which also they voted, by the way, they voted to follow the Open Meetings Act at the very beginning of the process. Um, so it was a weird argument to make, but the, uh, but he basically said like, yes, you need to, you need to allow the public to be part of this process. And that's the, the whole purpose of the process. Yeah. And I think that to the extent of which it, um, you know, the hard look sort of, uh, it, what they need to do to, you know, constitute a hard look is, is again, you know, I think the the board again has a lot of latitude in it, uh, in deciding how that would look. Um, but I think you could look at this process and say, like, it definitely didn't. You know, it's like kind of like a, I know a hard look when I see one, right? Mm, you know, right. I can't tell you what it is, but I know what I know it when I see it. Sure. Um, but you know, so I think like the Senate, the, the Valdez case is a good example of what a hard look look hard look looks like which is <laughs> yeah. it's a couple of members like sitting down and, and trying their best to accommodate the public wishes and the board taking those efforts seriously right and then at least because in valdez they're able to say well we could accommodate them but it requires 
angering a bunch of other people all over the place. I think right. when you look at um, there's a demonstration of consideration. Like we right. thought about and, it, and this is why we've decided to make our decision rather and it, than yeah. and, rather than just radio silence. And right, this is our decision. Yeah. And I think that's uh, it's an important. The other thing to keep in mind here is that both of these decisions, the um, East Anchorage one and the Skagway one, are both in areas where it doesn't require a bunch of redrawing all the rest of the maps. Because yeah. you know Valdez was really problematic because. You know, the, to accommodate Valdez, you basically had to completely upend um, like the rural interior districts. Um, you would have to start putting Athabascan communities together with Bering Strait communities, and they really didn't want that either. And they, there was sort of a better ground for why that 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 wasn't, um, you know, socioeconomically better, yeah. I guess. Um, In terms of what I'd like to see out of this, I think the main thing is just that Senate pairing was so hinky, and like yeah. the you know the Skagway thing, I think can go either way i think that there's justifications for both ways of putting that together um i i i was surprised that that one came out of this decision yeah um but i think that the the most egregious thing is just how they the whole framework for how they approached the senate pairings and how it, it really felt like a lot of backroom bargaining and uh public exclusion but yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It was cool. It was cool to see the process wrapped up. And I, I'm going to be interested to see how the Supreme Court handles things. Yeah, me too. Um, because I think it does create a new standard here. I think it's a good standard. The question I sort of have um, behind all this is like, whether it really is a constitutional standard that should be applied here. Because again, like that's the whole, that's like the whole issue with redistricting, right? Is that um, there's a big gulf between what's right and what's legal. Um, and and the rules for the Senate pairings are very limited, right? It pretty much really does only say um, they just need to be touching. And so, you know, I think that was, and that was an amendment that was passed in the late nineties, I think, um, written by the legislature. And so, you know, I think that they probably, they probably knew what they were doing in the sense of like, it's a low, low standard there. Um, so, but again, you know, this is not at all, this ruling does not at all touch the, the you know, the, the constitutional bounds of what, how you can draw maps. It really talks about like the process for drawing maps. And I think that's yeah. going to be really interesting to move forward because I think like, right, like having public testimony involved in the process is good. Like I would think to say that it is a good thing and the very, and you know, it doesn't require the board to follow it. They can at least come up with a good justification of it that I'm sure the court would give them quite a bit of latitude on. Uh, so, so, you know, I think if, if the Supreme court doesn't like this, I would, you know, I think there's a good case for, you know, considering what sort of action we could do to make this part of the process. You know, how do you make public testimony? How do you basically make people, you know, the question is like, how do you make a board accountable to the public? Right. And with a lot of this, you know, the answer with politicians is always like, Oh, the ballot box or the recall box, but they don't have that same kind of power when it comes to redistricting, you know, there's then, the, and the judge sort of specifically talks about this, like the, this board doesn't have another form of accountability that the court is kind of has, has always been sort of the, the place to get accountability out of the process and to be able to pull the public into it, I think is a really interesting concept. I am a little skeptical about it being held up, I guess is what I'm saying, just because it's not, it's not explicitly talked about, um, you know, in the constitution, yeah. it doesn't say you have to give them this uh, due. 
consideration. Right. So you might have one court that leans towards the what is right over the what is the letter of the law say, and then you might have the next court be like, no, 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 letter of the law. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. All right. So moving on, uh, a lot, a lot of other stuff happened this week. We've got the the governor's race. The finance reports came out. Um, uh, Lescara announced a running mate. Um, there was three million dollars donated uh on both kind of in a weird way to dodge a deadline by the republican governors association donated three million dollars um ahead of a change in law so that they wouldn't have to disclose those donors um which is a little hinky um and that's money that's going to prop up the dunleavy campaign um or a i think it says a republican right yeah but chris kirkin did not sound very happy about it and he's yeah. a, a republican <laughs> <laughs> i think that i think that everyone kind of knows who that money yeah. is for so it's um yeah it's uh you know bill walker's a republican i don't think he's gonna see a lot of that yeah. <laughs> anyways um so i don't know any governor's race stuff that you thought was interesting i think i think it's still interesting that governor dunleavy doesn't have a running mate yeah, he's kind of the he's one of the only ones coming to the prom without a date here. It's, uh, I mean, I think it took less. You're right; it took less a while to get there, but I think his running mate like fits into his message better than most. At the same time, I think like Dunleavy, like how could you not find a running mate <laughs> at this point? And it, to me, it says it suggests to me that there's a a lot of people that have turned him down, and b whoever he ends up with, I am gonna guess is not, you know. At this point, like, does it how well does it meld into whatever kind of message he has, right? Consolation, of, consolation it, candidate. Yeah, because it kind of feels like you know. I think there's been a lot of talk about him trying to shore up support in Fairbanks. Maybe he'll be a Fairbanks person or interior person. But if you go up to Fairbanks, a lot of that, like the political class, the kind of people you'd be drawing from, are hardcore Walker people. Like that, that is Walker country up there. Um. So I don't know. I kind of, I just don't know where it's going to go. I feel like if I was in that campaign, I'd be getting a little, I don't, I don't think I would have a whole lot of like relaxing weekends right now. There's a lot of clenched jaw afternoons. So yeah. Wheeling and dealing, trying to find someone to come on board and make things look nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think he put himself in a tough position when he, you know, he, I, he kind of, put Meyer Myers out to pasture in in a really sort of unceremonious way like he didn't he didn't really say much nice about him on the way out the door he's like eh, that guy's not my guy anymore <laughs> like well was, yeah it was and really like, weird yeah it's like I think he I think the governor and it, it was interesting because I got to sort of spend some time looking at like really far right messaging you know the radio talk radio space yeah. And it's like a good reminder that Dunleavy doesn't have a lot of fans on the far right. No. Right? And that this Charlie Pierce, a mayor from uh, Kenai and Kirka are both, I think, going to put like an incredible amount of pressure mm-hmm. on him from the right. I don't think that there's a lot of like play nice uh, no, he's going not, on there. He's, he's going to have a very not fun uh run this year i think i i would actually you know i don't even know why <laughs> at this point i don't know why he's in it because i think that he's i i think he's just gonna have a horrible horrible fall it's gonna be really it's gonna be really rough because it's not gonna just be one other candidate that he can sort of dismiss it's gonna be come like he's gonna have three fingers pointing at him once the primary is over and it's gonna be it's gonna feel like a lot of heat i think and we already know he doesn't handle it well so no no <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I think Charlie Pierce doesn't have a running mate right now. Um, I've heard talk that he might have a running mate out of Wasilla. 
Mm. Maybe a certain state senator named Shelley Hughes might be the person oh. that I've heard. And I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight to that. I haven't sat around and like checked around, but I've, that's sort of the word that's come around my radar. I think that would be like a, a kind of a, like a stab to Dunleavy's heart a little bit, just because it's, I think it would so clearly sort of, you know, show that his face is just sort of getting away from him right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think I mean, it'll be, that's, I mean, that's the problem when you, when you like have shifting sands, like his, his values have, have changed in reaction to so many things around him that he, that he really can't demonstrate that he has any. So he's right. So he's having a hard time connecting with anyone. Cause they're like, well, what are you? What yeah. You- I mean, and like, he's not going to, he's still not going to deliver the mega PFD. Right. Like, I think it sounds like yeah. the legislature is like kind of up at some amount, but they're not going to go all the way. Oh, we're not and... $6,000 that he promised. That's a surprise. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm like, I think it is it's just at this point, you know, it's so, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you look at him and are like inspired a whole lot by yeah. much of his actions because a lot of it, right, is, you know, there's not a lot in there that is the red meat to his base or even like red meat to like regular average Alaskans in a lot of ways, you know, like a lot of these sort of administration's decisions have been focused on like resource development, the mining sort of stuff. And it's just like, I just don't know how you get engaged about this guy when you've got Pierce and Kirka who are, you know, throwing out all sorts of crazy stuff. You have less, you know, providing a pretty progressive angle on it. And you have Walker, who's like kind of the sort of, like attractive centrist sort of He's boring centrist sol- sol- solidly in the middle yeah there's no yeah. doesn't leave a lot of room for dunleavy and i think that it's you know he's it's yeah he's gonna have a tough time yeah <laughs> um so <laughs> you, you, we're very you know we're we're uh we're totally unbiased <laughs> in our uh, uh analysis of this anyways we'll see how it unfolds um other big news this week, Von Imhoff uh, announced that she's stepping aside. She's not running again. That was a big one because she was thinking about, you know, there was a lot of rumors that she might run for governor so that she's stepping aside completely from politics mm-hmm. felt like a big deal. And also that she's sort of a, she's kind of part of this like dying breed of cons- of Alaskan conservative. And so it makes me wonder what will fill that space. Yeah. Um, Will it be someone who is a similarly minded sort of moderate conservative or, or does it become something much more radical? Well, Um, until the Senate pairings and Anchorage are shift, you know, changed, uh, she, she was incumbent with, uh, you paired together with Mia Costello. So that would have been your replacement there. So let's see what else, what else is, oh, Christopher Constant announced his, uh, uh, announced he's going to run for a house against Don Young and against, uh, Nick Begich, um, and I don't know who else is in that race, but those are the kind of the three top names that I'm aware of at this moment. Um, uh, I think he came out of the gates with like a cool vibe. Um, I think he sometimes gets down in the trenches and and uh, gets caught up in like squabbles with people. But I think that if he can if he can rise up above some of that and like carry off the the image that he sort of projected with his launch, if he can stick with that, I think that maybe he's got a good shot. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it that's an interesting case because like you know i think that the anchorage assembly has sort of been like pigeonholed a little bit into like this ultra liberal body right and yeah. they're not really that all that liberal i think that you, know, you look at oh i you know i'm 
have been following constant to some extent for a while and i would say that he's like one of the more like truly sort of moderate on uh, when it comes to like the issues that i feel like a lot of political boosters care about which is that like sort of pro-business sort of very moderate when it comes to those policies i think you know socially and politically i think he's quite liberal i think he you know he cares strongly about you know equality and that sort of those horrible left-wing ideals of equality and, and uh and sustainability and all that sort of stuff um this would be interesting because I think, you know, like so much of politics, you know, gets defined for us by the far right, just because they're louder and angrier. And it feels like we're always on the back heel trying to sort of counter those sort of, or, you know, address this messaging, you know, but it's like already, already set for us, right? If you, if they're calling constant, the most extreme liberal we've ever seen. So it's going to be interesting to see just, I think, how much of a difference you can make, you know, or how you can define yourself in an era where, there's a lot of people who would happily do it for you. Yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he's like a cinch to win, but I think that yeah. it's going <clears> to, <throat> I think, <clears throat> but I think that his race can have a lot of impact. And I think it can demonstrate that um, in a, in a top four environment, they have a really important role in engaging in dialogue and bringing different ideas to the table that have been largely ignored and not really discussed. And I think that Alaska, like some of these, weird freaky liberal community vibe ideas you know like we want our community gardens and we like growing potatoes and like i think that there's i think there's some of that kind of crunchy granola underpinning to living living in this state and i think that there's going to be pieces of these campaigns that resonate with with folks that are that they're going to be surprised they're going to be like oh well that's interesting and and i think there's going to be an opportunity to sort of like I don't know, open the window a little bit. If, if somebody really wants to win one of these races, they need to be able to at least appeal in some limited fashion to the voters of their opponents, right? And so if L.V. Gray Jackson's pushing really hard on some sort of issue, then, you know, Lisa Murkowski's at least has some interest in trying to sound, you know, just at least sound the part and yeah. try to appeal to it and so whether how that all like plays out in the long term is going to be quite you know interesting to see but i think it at least changes how you approach like the campaign issues and i think like i would hope that there would be more work to sort of translate some of these issues to like real world issues like real world like why does it matter to me sort of stuff and i think yeah. both constant and lv gray jackson have been pretty good at that i think so far and being able to translate like the well, why should we care? I I, yeah. And I think the biggest, why should we care on that side of like the sort of, you know, progressive voices is like healthcare. And I think mm -hmm. that that's the, that is sort of the one thing that I would really lean into if I were in, in their campaign is that everyone is in the same boat of not having enough money to take care of themselves and being one healthcare issue away from bankruptcy. Right. So, you know, I can't get in an ambulance tomorrow or my life changes radically. And, and I think that that's a scary spot to be. And I think that yeah. we want to figure out ways to either address healthcare through better services or, or more affordable services, or figure out a way to kind of rein in the runaway pricing. And so I think that that's a, a key issue that really gets skipped over when you just have a bunch of Republicans and moderate Republicans running against each other. Right. Anyways, um, that's kind of what happened this week. Uh, big, the big positive for me was Elizabeth Pradovich Day was early in the week, and that was really touching. It was a, 
it's just always nice to see people celebrate that and share their stories. Um, Elizabeth Pradovich was the, you know, our, our kind of our big civil rights leader in Alaska. She passed the first anti-discrimination law back in the forties. And, uh, you know, she was a cool person who lived here in Juneau and, you know, her, her uh, grave markers like a hundred yards out my back door, which was I, something I sort of dawned on me. And I went over and there were a bunch of kids playing in the, in the rain and leaves and hanging on the trees and stuff. And uh, it was a pretty nice little poetic moment. And someone had left a little, left a flower for her. And uh, I think that it's, it's nice uh, that we have, you know, all these people that do such great work for the state. And, uh, and it's important to, I think, maybe not necessarily like celebrate the individual always, but the, I think the ideas that, that they carry are really important. Yeah. You know, I think it's inspiring to show that people, you know, were willing to go through difficult and challenging times to, for the betterment of our state and were that much better off because of people like her. And, you know, there are people like that today who are working, you know, tirelessly for that effort and just grateful for it, right? Because I think that it's really easy to sort of feel negative about a lot of things and, and to look at efforts like those that are, you know, just making things, trying to make it better, trying to make it more fair is is really admirable. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good note to end on. I'll, I'll uh, see you later. Goodbye, Alaska. Right, see you later. Bye. Wow, we didn't get like we did. We we managed to not uh, nosedive into. Yeah. Oh my God, the world is terrible. Well, we can do that next week when we talk about the war that we're in with Russia. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've been following it, but like today, things took a big turn. Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah, like an hour before we got on, apparently, like Putin gave a big speech about how he's going to just how this certain part of Ukraine is is actually part of Russia, and I mean it was. It sounds like it's going to just go down. Um, and I, it, I don't really know what that means for Alaska yet. <laughs>